Ivrim, Hebrews chapter 11. This is encouraging. The hall of faith. The hall of faith. I love this chapter. Many of us, of course, most probably all of us have spent some time here over the years. But this hall of faith, it does not teach the two houses. This does not teach the two houses, but one new man. One new man. We are supposed to be one new man of faith. Ephesians 2.15, it's written, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of carnal commandments, that's speaking of the book of the law, those carnal commandments to make in himself from the one From the two, excuse me, one new man, so making and bringing in shalom. So the hall of faith, we are to be the one new man. Why? Because there's a change. There has now been the abolishment of the carnal commandments, bringing the two now into one. And this is ultimately what this whole chapter is going to focus on. In verse 1, our author describes... The characteristic of faith, not a definition of faith. It's a description of faith. Here faith is described as something hoped for. It's still in the future. It is yet unseen. Something clung to. And that's the thing. Our faith is to be something we look forward to. To a hope. A hope yet not realized to which we patiently endure. If we have faith, if we truly have faith, we will in fact, well, patiently endure. Some of you will have to endure more than others, but we will all patiently endure. Because faith brings with it an absolute certainty. It brings an absolute certainty. A living faith is an absolute assurance of things hoped for. It's future. But it's not disconnected from the past because that ultimately will affect the very presence. But let's not get all hippy-dippy and greasy grace on this because hope must have a foundation And that foundation is what? It's the word. It's scripture. So our hope can't be abstract. It has a foundation, and that foundation is scripture. So we must patiently wait until its prophecies come to pass. And we spend our time here as sojourners unearthing the treasures in hopeful expectation. And that's what we do. We unearth the treasures within his word for that hopeful expectation of them and the prophecies to see their fulfillment in our days. We're going to look at right now four important principles to digest before we even delve into the text. Number one, because of the Tanakh, the Old Testament saints exercised faith, If we fail to exercise faith, then we will depart from the Old Testament saints. And herein, herein lies the reality of the institutionalized church. They don't have the faith to believe in the literal 
Torah covenant that the Old Testament saints believed in. So they do away with the Torah because it reminds them of what? It reminds them that they don't have the faith that the fathers had to actually believe those words of Yah. So it's much easier to do away with it because it reminds you of your lack of faith. Right? Wrong. Number two, our author in verse 35 encourage us to, um, encourages us excuse me, to exercise patient endurance. That same patient endurance that the saints in the Tanakh they endured. So we, like them, can win the battle because patient endurance is the key to gaining victory in our lives. It's not a microwave faith, is it? It's crockpot faith. Slow and steady. Slow and steady. Number three, we are to imitate the examples that are going to be laid out before us in this chapter. We've got to imitate these examples. Do what they did. And finally, number four, the key word is, of course, emunah, faith. It's used 24 times within this text. So what I'm convinced of, what I'm convinced of is of things not presently seen. I don't presently see them. I am convinced of them, such as the priestly ministry, of Yahusha, my full access to Yahuwah in prayer, my assurance and your assurance of an ongoing spiritual maturity and the full pardon of our sins. I don't see that yet fully, but I am convinced of it. I look forward to it. I may not see these things, but I know that they're there. History proves, history proves it's possible to live the way you and I choose to live. And that's why our author uses history in this chapter to prove his point. Now, emunah, faith, is the substance of things now hoped for, as it was the substance of things which have already come to pass as it is the evidence of things not yet seen. For by it, Zichani, Israel, obtained a tov, a good report. Through emunah, faith, we understand that the olamim, these worlds, were framed by the word of a lower, so that things that are seen were made by the invisible made by the invisible. When we hope in faith for something future or look back to the the saints, that hope brings in a present, tangible substance into our lives, doesn't it? We can look back. We look to the future. There's the past faith. We look to the saints in the Tanakh. A future faith The unraveling and expectation of the word of Yah, it brings in what? A present faith that is strong and resolute. Look at verse 3. Creation, creation must be accepted by what? Faith. Why do you think they don't accept creation? Because they're void of faith. Creation must be accepted by faith because nobody was present to observe it. 
Faith must be past, it must be present, and it must be future. And those that are bankrupt of faith, they're going to go for fishes with little feet walking up out of the water. You see, because they're void of the substance which is faith. And the institutionalized church today teaches only a present and a future faith. A faith that is disconnected from the Tanakh. A faith that is disconnected from the past. A faith that is disconnected from the Old Testament saints. A faith that is disconnected from the Torah. The past is the foundation of the faith, which in reality is supposed to be brought forth into the present to strengthen us and to guard us so that what? We can then attain the future faith that is coming to us all. In verse 3, the theory of evolution was invented just a few hundred years ago as a reaction to the lack of faith in the resounding culture. Hope and understanding of the framing of this world, they had no faith in that. A lack of faith, and it was apparent within that humanistic society, wasn't it? Genuine faith produces genuine knowledge. And a lack of faith produces a Janus-faced knowledge. And that's the theory of evolution. It's a Janus-faced knowledge. It's incomplete. If you actually start digging into it, it's got huge gaps. Huge gaps. It's a theory of faith that is incomplete. It's Janus-faced knowledge. By emunah, by faith, Chevel, Abel, offered to Yahuwah a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was a Zadik. Yahuwah testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaks. You see, Abel demonstrated faith by recognizing he had an obligation to cover his soul before approaching Yahuwah in worship. He knew that from Bereshit, Genesis 3.21, Vayikra, Leviticus 17.11, and it's fully realized in the text of Hebrews 9, verse 14. Cain, you see, is a prime example of one who thinks they can choose their own way. They think that they can choose their own way to Yahuwah, void of Yahuwah's teaching and instructions void of his covenant Torah. Abel, on the other hand, is an example of one who chooses to take Yahuwah at his word and to approach him through the teaching and instruction that is laid out within his word. The blood sacrifices didn't make Abel righteous. What did make Abel righteous was his faith. His faith and the evidence of his faith was keeping the commandments of Yahuwah and offering a covering for his soul before he approached Yahuwah in worship. And you and I are no different. We are no different. You see, Abel today is still a witness. He's still a witness to the life of faith seen in three stages of progression. Number one, because he believed, because he believed, he offered a better sacrifice. 
Number two, because he offered a better sacrifice, it shows that he was righteous. And number three, because he was righteous, he was a true witness to the life of faith. Do you see that three-stage progression? And that's our life. He worshipped in faith. In contrast, Amos 5 tells us those that approach like Cain. Well, I ain't going to worship Yahweh the way I want to worship him. As yesterday, they were dragging a crucifix made by on, with two by fours on wheels past my work. And I'm like, if you're going to do that, I mean... Yahushua didn't get wheels. It wasn't a two-by-four. Apparently, it was so heavy that Simon from Cyrene had to carry it. So if you're going to at least do it, then can we be a little bit more? I mean, what a cop-out, but that is the weak and easy faith, isn't it? Let's just do it with two-by-fours and throw some wheels on it because we can't even be bothered to lift the cross actually a tree but that's another but anyway again we need to approach Yahuwah through his teaching and instructions because that is exactly what Abel did we cannot choose to approach as Amos tells us in chapter 5 Yahuwah through our own teachings and instructions that's not going to work Verse 5, by Emunah, Hanok, Enoch was translated that he should not see death And he was not found because Yahweh had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased Yahweh. But without Emunah, it is impossible. It's impossible to please him. For he that comes to Yahweh must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Enoch was translated from the earth, and Hanok walked with Yahuwah, and he was not, for Yahuwah took him. Bereshit 5.24. He had witness born to him, and Yahuwah bore witness to Enoch that he was blessed, and that he was happy with his faith. There's two steps to beginning this walk of faith. And people stumble right out of the gate. The first step, we have to believe that Yahuwah exists, right? And the second step, you must believe that Yahuwah is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you diligently seek him, he will reward you. You have to have that faith before you can even progress forward. These are the two foundations to the beginning of our walk in faith. If you can't get those right, you're going to stumble right out of the gate. Verse 7. By Emunah, faith, Noah, being warned by Yahuwah of things not yet seen, as of yet, moved with fear. He made an ark to save his bait, his house. But he condemned the olam, By it, he condemned the olam, this world, and became heir of the zadachah, the righteousness that is by faith, emunah. You see, until the time of Noah, it had never rained on the earth. It never rained on the earth. How many of you 
How many of you are doing things in your life that people think are crazy based upon the reading and understanding of taking Yahuwah at his word? Right? You take Yahuwah at his word and people think you're crazy. You and I should be doing things. We should be doing things in preparation for something that has never happened on this earth before. We should be. If Noah is our example, right? As I trundle down downtown with 60 gallons of diesel and a big garbage can and all this aluminum foil dragging behind me and people are like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm building a Faraday enclosure. Well, why? Well, because the North Korean satellite passes over America three times a day, and I think there's going to be an EMP. Oh, don't be silly. Have you read the prophecies in the book of Revelation? Oh, you're crazy. Okay, see you later. As I trundle down with my 60 gallons of diesel and foil dragging along the ground. But, you know, that's just me. Preparing for something, preparing for something that has never happened on the earth before. That's my example from Noah of faith in action. Not faith in a pre-tribulation rapture that's never going to happen. Right? And I'm crazy. Take the wheels off your cross. That's crazy. (laughs) could burn those two by fours. Noah, like us, was warned by Yahuwah of things not yet seen. The scriptural prophecies of the book of Revelation say things are going to come down from the heavens. And this worldly system that you and I live in, it is going to pass away. We should believe We should believe it and show our faith by making preparations. This is pleasing to Yahuwah because why? Because it demonstrates faith. You see how they flip that on you? Oh, you're a prepper. You're preparing. That's a lack of faith. No. Preparing demonstrates faith. Faith that you believe that something that has never happened in this world is actually going to happen based upon your reading of Scripture. For us, the book of Giliana, the book of Revelation. You see, that is why the secularists, the liberals, tease and make fun of biblical preppers. Why? Because your preparedness communicates to them that you have a faith in something that has never happened in this world that you're preparing from based upon your reading of Scripture. And what does it demonstrate and communicate to them? It shows them their lack of faith, and they hate it. And the only thing they can do, as they did to Noah, was what? Make fun and mock him. Why do you see so much mocking and TV shows of preppers? Oh, those crazy preppers. Let's see who's crazy when the EMP strikes. Anyway. But it really is. It's a sign of their unbelief. It's a sign of their unbelief. Verse 8. By emunah, by faith, 
Avraham, when he was called to go out into a place that he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By emunah, faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tents with Yitzhak and Yaakov, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is Yahuwah. You see, Abraham left pagan sun god worship behind, and he crossed over. He became a chavah, a Hebrew. He crossed over from one soil to a better soil and produces, produced a better crop because he changed soils. He began to produce a better crop. The very act of departing from his country showed his faith. When you and I, when we left the institutionalized church system and its lawless pagan trappings, we went to a place where we were able to receive what? A future inheritance. And that future inheritance are the covenants of promise that are connected to the Malkitzedic priesthood. Abraham, he immediately obeyed. He immediately obeyed. While he was being called, he obeyed immediately. While Yahuwah was still speaking to him, he obeyed. Before it was even revealed to him, he obeyed. That's the come and you will see faith that Yahushua spoke about. And that's what people don't have. He says, come and you will see. Most people want to say, well, well why, why should I follow? Well, 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 lay it all out for me. No, no, no. You just got to take the step. You've just got to come. And then guess what? Your life will never be the same. You will see amazing things. But he's never going to lay it all out for you because that doesn't take faith. Well, I'm going to go down here. You know, there's going to be this guy, Lazarus. He's going to be dead, stinking and rotting after four days. Everybody's going to weep, weep in the morning, but I'm going to raise him. Oh, anyone would follow to see that. It would be a sideshow, right? But he didn't say that. He said, come and you will see. That takes faith. That takes faith. How many of us didn't know how many of us didn't know where on earth we were going when we left the institutionalized church system? If we did, we would never have left. If you'd, uh, you'd end up here listening to me, there's no way we, you would have left your Baptist preacher, right? But you didn't know that you'd end up here. You didn't know that you would be keeping Shabbat, the Moedim, you didn't know where it was all going to leave you and lead you when you were chasing those Easter bunnies, right? You didn't know. You only knew that Yahweh was telling you something was wrong and it was time to go, right? Something was wrong. It didn't add up and it was time to go. You, like Abraham, are just keep on walking in that faith that he gives you. Just keep walking in that faith until Yahweh tells you to stop. It's a pilgrimage 
of faith. It's not a stop of faith. It's a journey. It's a pilgrimage of faith, and people just want to have a pit stop of faith, right? Oh, I'll just do my pit stop of faith every Sunday at 10 o'clock, between 10 and 11.30. I'll do my pit stop of faith. No, it's a pilgrimage. Don't ever stop until he tells you to stop. We demonstrate the faith of Abraham, and the result is we'll become foreigners in the country that we dwell. And how many of you feel for, like you're foreigners, really? More and more, right? Verse 11, we are exiles, exactly. Through Emunah, through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. It's very easy to just read past that, but think about that for a minute. Through Emunah also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive Zerah seed. And was delivered of a child when she was past age. Because she deemed him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang forth one from him almost dead. And then later others, as many as the Chochavim, the stars of the sky in multitude. And as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. My question is, how exactly did Sarah demonstrate faith? She laughed. Where's the faith in that? That's the question that I have. Is that exercising faith? Laughing at the promises of Yahuwah? Is that exercising faith? Because that's what she did, right? So what on earth is our author talking about? Through M&R also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. That tells you what he's talking about. You see, her ability to conceive seed was by faith. At first, she wasn't exercising faith, though, was she? But later... But later, she became witness to Abraham's faith. And that witness to Abraham's faith gave her the ability to conceive seed. Her witness to another person's faith gave her the ability to conceive seed. Now, this verse, this verse is for all of you out there, in fact, for all of us out there, who've got husbands or wives or loved ones that laugh at your faith. This verse is for all of us out there that have loved ones that laugh at our faith. Keep witnessing your faith. Keep Witnessing your faith. Never diminish your faith to keep the peace. That's secular humanism and they'll teach you that to compromise. Never diminish your faith to keep the peace. Because you're afraid of the future. Right? 
That's when that comes in. Well, I've got to diminish, scale back my faith to keep the peace because you're afraid of the future. That comes from the world. This is not what the scripture teaches us. He who is faithful will use your uncompromising faith as a witness, as a witness, listen, to enable your loved ones to exercise the faith that they presently lack. Does that make sense? It's huge. If you look at this, the Greek meaning to conceive seeds means the depositing of sperm. The Greek meaning to conceive seed means the depositing of sperm. In the Hebrew, it's zerah. It's the depositing of sperm. So the faith our author is referring to isn't Sarah's faith at all, is it? But Abraham's faith, which gave Sarah the ability to conceive seed. It was Abraham's faith that gave Sarah the ability to conceive seed. Why? I mean, this has huge ramifications for you. Huge ramifications for you and me in our families. Your faith, listen, your faith can physically affect your spouse, your daughter, your grandchildren. Your faith can change your loved ones who haven't yet exercised their faith properly. Your faith can change their faith. Your loved ones can become one with your faith. Sarah heard two proclamations. At the first, she laughed within herself. But at the second, once it was fulfilled and she witnessed it, it produced the faith in her that the first proclamation would also be fulfilled. What am I talking about? She had two proclamations. And she didn't believe. But when one of those proclamations were fulfilled, then it produced the faith in her to believe the first proclamation. When she saw that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, it then produced, because of her husband's faithful witness, it enabled her to believe the first proclamation that she would conceive seed. Conceive seed. Your loved ones, your loved ones have heard your witness of Torah of Malkit Zedek, and they laugh at you. But they've also heard your witness about the end times. Maybe the prophecy that Damascus would become a ruinous heap, and we're in the last days. Well, when they witness one being fulfilled like Sarah, it will activate their faith to believe the other. Because Yahweh is faithful, is he not? You just chose the better way. You just chose the better way. You'll have to just have the faith that Yahweh will finish the good work that he has started in you. 
It's very important that we understand this because Sarah laughed, but it was Abraham's faith that enabled her to conceive seed. Never diminish your witness because your faith can physically affect your loved ones who are not activating their faith. That's why he gives families these strong patriarchs and matriarchs of the faith. Not so that you can scale it back for some comfort because of some fear in the future. No, because you're to be like Abraham that keeps pushing forth because Yahweh knows it's your strong faith that you keep pursuing that is the witness to those that are lacking in faith that will enable them to activate their faith when they see the word that you have spoken coming alive around them. Powerful stuff. Verse 13. These all died in Emunah, not having received the heavenly promised land, but having seen it afar off. And they were persuaded of it, and they embraced it, and they confessed that they were Gerim, they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You bunch of pilgrims. For they that say such things declareth mainly that they seek a country. And truly, and if they had been mindful of that country from where they had come out, they might have had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, Yahuwah, he is not ashamed. He is not ashamed to call and be called their Eloah. For he has prepared for them a city. Let's summarize where we're at so, so far, because this is a long chapter. There's a lot of verses. Nine points to summarize where we're at so far. Number one, the patriarchs, they lived according to faith. Number two, they didn't see everything unfold before their eyes in their lifetime, but they hoped for the future. Number three, they saw the future Fulfillment by faith. Number four, they believed Yahuwah would bring his promises into fruition. Number five, they actually clung. They clung to those promises. Number six, they confessed that they were strangers in a strange land. Number seven, they looked to a heavenly country. Number eight, they had no desire to return back into the world, back to Ur or Haran. And number nine, their faith enabled their loved ones to activate their faith, even if at first they laughed it off. Verse 17. By Emunah, faith, Avraham, when he was tried, offered up Yitzhak. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. According that Yahuwah was able to raise him up even from the dead, from where he also received him 
in a figure. You see, Isaac wasn't his only biological son. We know that. Only begotten speaks of uniqueness, not origin, but uniqueness, not origin. Isaac was unique in that he was the only son chosen to inherit the covenants of promise. And when Yahusha is spoken of as the only begotten son, it likewise doesn't mean that he's the only son of Yahuwah. Yahusha isn't the only son of Yahuwah. Is he? It simply means he's the unique son of Yahuwah in distinction to Yahuwah's other sons. I love the looks on your faces. You know I deliberately put that in there just to see. What are you talking about? Angels. Sons of Yahuwah by creation. And believers, sons of Yahuwah by adoption, in contrast to Yahusha as the eternal son of Yahuwah. They're like, thank goodness he clarified that. Firstborn. Firstborn. Verse 19. Accounting that Yahuwah was able to raise him up even from the dead. And here is a Malkitzedic Torah principle. Verse 19. Accounting that Yahuwah was able to raise him up even from the dead. This is the Malkitzedic Torah principle. When Yahuwah makes a covenant of promise and you enter in and abide within that covenant of promise, it obligates him to resurrect those to whom the promises were made, even if they die before its benefits are fully realized in their lifetime. When Yahuwah makes a covenant of promise and you enter into that covenant of promise, and you abide within that covenant of promise, it obligates Yahuwah to resurrect those to whom the promises were made, even if they die before its benefits are fully realized in their lifetime. Yahuwah is obligated to resurrect you and I now that we've entered into his covenants of promise. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew this. That's why Yahushua quoted Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. I am the Elohim of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, because this is the Abrahamic covenants of promise resurrection formula that's fully realized in Malkitzedek in the resurrection realm that our author is communicating. That's hope, and that's faith, and that's an assurance of good things to come, is it not? 
Verse 20. By Emunah, faith, Yitzhak, Isaac, blessed Yaakov and Esau concerning things to come. By Emunah, faith, Yaakov, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Yosef and worshipped and leaned upon the top of his staff. Jacob did all of this when he was dying. He knew he would die before the promises were fulfilled in his lifetime. Yet he believed Yahweh. He believed Yahweh would be able to keep his promises with the next generation. So he didn't hesitate, did he, in issuing a blessing? Because he knew that Yahweh would continue with his promises to the next generation. It's a future faith in Yahweh because he's the fulfiller of the promises. And you and I know that. That's why we pour into our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Because we believe in the promises of Yahuwah by what? Faith. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Verse 22. I, I love this chapter. I mean, it just is so encouraging. By Emunah, faith, Yosef, when he died, he made mention of the exodus of Benai Israel, the house of Israel, and gave them a commandment concerning his bones. Joseph too, of course, and is, is an example of that future faith. Verse 23. By Emunah, faith, Moshe, when he was born, he was hidden three months by his parents. Because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the Melech, the king's commandment. By Emunaf, Moshe, when he was grown, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of Yahuwah than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short while. Esteeming the reproach of the anointed as greater riches than the treasures of Mitzrayim. We'll focus in on that verse, verse 26. Look at it. Esteeming the reproach of the anointed as greater riches than the treasures of Mitzrayim, for he looked forward to receive the reward. By Emunah, faith, he forsook Mitzrayim, Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the Melech, the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. There's three interpretations of verse 26. The Hebrew word there is moshiach, anointed moshiach. How do you interpret that? Number one, Moshe chose to identify with the reproach of moshiach, literally. Moshiach, Yahushua. He had chose to identify with the reproach of moshiach. Number two, the second interpretation Moshe recognized he was the Moshiach or the anointed one chosen for the task ahead. Because that's what Moshiach means, the anointed or the chosen one. So the second interpretation is not Christ-centric future, but Moshe realized that he was anointed for the task that lay ahead. And the third, which I tend to agree with, and it's more probable, Christ here, 
Moshiach or Christ, the anointed here, identifies the nation of Israel. You can look at Psalm 89, verse 50. Moshe chose to suffer reproach with the nation people of Yahuwah because they were what? They were the anointed nation that were going to be brought out of a nation that had enslaved them. So I think the anointed is the anointed nation of Israel right here. But there are three traditional interpretations there with verse 26. Just wanted to bring that to you because many people are like, wow, Moses believed in Jesus Christ back then in the Bible? Well, you often, you know, that's the traditional church. See, you don't need the law of Moses. He was even looking forward to Jesus Christ. I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, what accent was that? I don't know. Some old farmer. I like my accents. Verse 28. Through <laughs> the linguist calling me on my stuff there. Be quiet, Ronald. <laughs> Verse 28. Through Emunah, faith, he kept the Pesach, Passover, and the sprinkling of Dam, blood, lest he that destroyed the Bacharim, the firstborn, should touch them. By Emunah, they passed through the Red Sea on dry land, which the Mitzrites, the Egyptians attempting to do, were drowned. You see, a parent's faith enables them to hide their children from the world. And that's why I'm such a big fan of homeschooling and alternative health care and alternative entertainment. Because I believe that we should be hiding our children and the next generation from the world. That we don't just thrust them into the world's educational system. We don't thrust them into Obamacare. And we certainly don't thrust them into Hollywood media and television. Parents aren't to be afraid of the oppressive government, big pharma, and their intimidation tactics. Because their whole purpose is to what? try and get a foothold with the next generation. And that's what they try and do. But as believers, we have an obligation scripturally to hide our children from the world. Refuse to be a child of the world. Look forward to the future rewards of Mashiach. It comes down to identity. Do you identify with the Egyptians or do you identify as a child of Yahuwah. Verse 28, celebrating Easter is a counterfeit to the faith. Celebrating Passover is a requirement of genuine public faith. And that's the meat test, the meat test. The holidays you keep reveal the God you serve. They serve to publicly identify where you stand or where you fall. Right? For Moshe and for you and I, the covenantal promise can only be fulfilled by leaving the royal court and joining another royal court. We trade in the New World Order for the Malkit Zedek Order. It's that simple. Which royal court are you going to belong to? And that takes true faith. 
And there's nine things now that testify to true faith. Number one, true faith rejects the world's pleasures to conform. Number two, true faith obeys the details of Yahweh's word. Number three, true faith overcomes natural obstacles. You know, like the Red Sea, we overcome natural obstacles. That's what we do. That's what true faith enables you to overcome natural obstacles. Number four, true faith is willing to do what is unnatural. Taking Yahweh at his word is unnatural, is it not? By the world standards. It's totally unnatural, but true faith is willing to do what is unnatural. Number five, true faith requires one to do what seems unnatural and illogical. It's very illogical to wander around the wilderness for 40 years when you could have just gone the way of the Philistines, the Philistines, and got there within a couple of weeks, a fortnight, right? Illogical and unnatural, but true faith believes the word of Yahweh. Number six, true faith doesn't see with the eyes, but it sees from within. Number seven, true faith doesn't react, but it acts according to the still, small voice within, not the clamor and clatter of the world without. Number eight, true faith is associated with trials. It's natural that if we demonstrate true faith, that we're going to go through trials and we're going to be tested. And number nine, true faith overcomes its enemies. You know, like the walls of Jericho? True faith overcomes its enemies. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were circled around for seven days. By faith, Emunah, the harlot, Rachav, did not perish with them that believed not when she had received the spies with shalom. You see, receiving Yahweh's people with peace and acting upon something that was known, that's what she did. She received Yahweh's people with peace and she acted upon something that was known, whereas others didn't act upon what was known. The Canaanites, they knew that Israel's exodus had happened. They knew of the exodus miracles. They knew of the desert wanderings, but they chose not to act upon what was known. That's the world that you and I live in. This book is the most documented text in the history of the world. You can prove in a court of law, if they would have it, through cross-examination, that Yahushua walked after the resurrection through the mountain of documented evidence, just in the Greek text alone, almost 5,000 documents. 
You can prove that he existed and walked more than Shakespeare was on this earth. But who would choose to believe that Shakespeare actually lived? And he did. But there's no question about that. People talk of the great Greek classics and believe in these and Greek scholarly writings more so than this text, which is the most documented text on the planet. And it all comes down to what? You and I choose to what? Act upon something that is well known. Whereas others choose not to act upon something that is known. They disregard it. They set it aside. Today, people know the faith, but they choose not to act upon it. Thereby sealing their destiny to destruction, devoid of deliverance. And verse 32, and what more shall I say? It's interesting. And what more shall I say? In the Greek, more say is how it comes up. More say. The use of the masculine participle, more say, actually rules out Priscilla from being the author here of the text. It rules out Priscilla. For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Shimshon and of um, Jephthah and Dawid, also of Shamuel, Samuel, and of the Nevin, the prophets, who through Emunah faith subdued kings. They worked Zedekar. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. They became valiant in fight. They routed the armies of the foreigners. Right here, our author has just presented us with three triplets of victory for our walk. Three triplets for victory in our walk. Number one, we have national victories, subdued kingdoms. Who did that? Joshua, the judges, and David worked righteousness. Samuel and David and obtained promises. Gideon, Barak, and David. Number two, personal deliverance. Stop the mouths of lions. Well, that was Daniel, Samson, and David. Quench the violence of fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escape the edge of the sword. Well, that was Moshe, Elijah, Jephthah, David. Number three, personal gifts and attainments. The weak were made strong. Gideon, Samson, and David. They were valiant in war. Joshua, Barak, and David. They turned around the armies of the infidels, David and Jehoshaphat. Verse 35, women received their dead, raised to hyene, raised to life again. And here, women are our example of resurrection faith. 
It's the women who are our example of having that resurrection faith. You see, most resurrection miracles were on the behalf of women. The widow of Zarephath, whose son was raised by Eliyahu, Elijah. The widow of Nain, whose son was raised by Yahusha. And of course, Mary and Martha with Lazarus. It's the women who have that resurrection faith. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Because these resurrections were merely, they were resurrected to come back to life, but then they would have to die again. But there's a better resurrection. And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings like Jeremiah. Yes, and also chains of, a pri- of imprisonment. Jeremiah, Joseph, and of course, Rab Shaliak Shaul, the Apostle Paul. Faith triumphs over death, and faith triumphs over chains. Verse 37, they were stoned, Zechariah and Stephen. They were sawn apart, Isaiah, of course, sawn apart by Manasseh. They were tempted, Joseph, was slain with the sword, Uriah. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, Elijah and John the Immerser, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, the prophets as a whole, of whom this olam, this world, was not worthy of. They wandered in the deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth like Obadiah. And all these, having obtained a good report Through faith, Emunah received not the promise. Yahuwah having provided for us too, so that they without us should not be made perfect. You see, all who have faith and have demonstrated their faith will inherit the kingdom by patient endurance and faith in the goal ahead The goal ahead, they decided they're going to stand firm. You see, the key is to die in faith. That's the key. The key is to die in faith, to possess faith at the very end. Because then Yahweh is obligated to resurrect you because you have the faith at the end in the future. And that is what the Tanakh saints communicate in this chapter we have to just finish well and we look to the world as those that have an inactive faith but we don't give up hope because we know that our strong faith will in fact enable those that are floundering to activate their faith because of they witness the very faith within us And that's what this chapter is about. Encouraging us to remember, yes, there is the past faith that is your foundation in the Torah. And there is then that which you bring into your present, which is a present faith. But ultimately, you have to have the goal of a future faith. And that's what the patriarchs had. Amen. Any questions, comments at all? What a great chapter of motivation and encouragement for believers. The 
chapter of faith, the hall of faith. Amen. Amen.